All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari Crypto's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis <laughs> at Two Bit Idiots, and really excited today to have Alex and Ilya from Near Protocol, uh, one of the more exciting teams uh, in the ecosystem that's working on uh, sharding uh, protocol and, and, and a pretty exciting scalable platform. So right now, uh, it looks like they might be frozen in time on the uh, on the Skype side of things. But uh, guys, do you want to just introduce yourselves and, and we'll make sure that we didn't lose the audio? Sure. Hi, so I, I'm Alex. Uh, I was, um, before I started Near Protocol, I was uh, working for a company called MemSQL. It's a distributed database, sharded database. I joined MemSQL as employee number one when it was uh, uh, just founders, myself and a Pomeranian in, uh, in a two-bedroom apartment in Menlo Park. Uh, I left when it was uh, 150 people with, uh, I think, like, eight-digit ARR, uh, and, uh, uh, and while at MemSQL I was working on sharding, I was building a sharded database, and uh, uh, after a few adventures we started Near Protocol. Uh, yeah, we, we, we will talk more about why we did it and uh, how, how it is relevant. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear the origin story. You, you know, uh, when, we, when, we think about, uh, when we think about sharding, um, it, it is one half of uh, maybe the most important um, tech, uh, technological developments in the Ethereum roadmap uh, as, as part of Ethereum 2.0 and, and, and its combination with Casper. So um, what, what have you guys done that's a little bit different? How um, has this idea evolved and, and why start something from scratch, um, given all the work that's going into this and a number of other larger protocols? Before we jump in, do you want Ilya to introduce himself? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Ilya, before jumping on, on the startup land, I was uh, engineering manager at Google, and uh, pretty much I was working on machine learning research from Google.com, translated Google, and a bunch of other properties. Uh, and one of the, my kind of pet peeves is uh, developer experience, and we're probably going to talk about it here as well, but pretty much I did a lot of uh, engineering for making APIs for mach Google Machine Learning Framework, TensorFlow, usable, which kind of made me one of the more prolific contributors to TensorFlow. Uh, and yeah, that's definitely relevant, I think, in case of improving usability of, of the blockchain on top of any scalability problems. Yeah. So now let, let's jump uh, to sharding, right? So what, so the reason why we started sharded protocol, uh, or like a short, very short story of how it all happened was that we, ha we were having a dinner with a bunch of our friends who were way more familiar with blockchain than us, right? And we were saying like, what can we build on blockchain? And the consensus was we cannot build anything on blockchain today because blockchain is, is super slow and, and practically unusable. And then we said, we asked, well, why is the case? And they said, well, there are many protocols building something new today, just that nobody launched. And so we went ahead and we started reading all the white papers. That was everything that was available. Definity, Algorand, Space Mesh, what I else mean, was Ethereum available. 2 yeah. Ethereum 2.0 did not exist back in the day. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. but uh, some notes. And so we were reading all of them and they, they were all interesting. However, they were all increasing the scalability by a constant, often by a very large constant, like Solana, even then were, were claiming like... 700,000, yeah. I think then, then it was like five, yeah. Like today, they're claiming million per second, and and that claim I, I more or less believe. Uh, but still, that's 100 million payment transactions, right? The problem is that if if you build Thunder today, if Thunder launches, 
not if it, it just launched, but <laughs> <laughs> Thunder launched, right? So let's say everybody moves to Thunder today. Uh, Thunder can do let's say thousand transactions per second, right? Today it's more than enough. We wait for a couple of years. We saturate thousand transactions per second, and then we have a second wave of white paper saying, "Well, this is how we improve to ten thousand transactions per second," right? So it's a it's 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 way better than 12 transactions per second, but this is not a future-proof solution, right? The proper future-proof solution is to build a protocol such that, uh, with increasing adoption of the protocol, the TPS, the number of transactions it can process, also grows linearly, or or not necessarily linearly, but it grows, right? Uh, and so sharding is one of the approaches to do that. Mm -hmm. With the uh, uh, like the idea is very simple. The idea says you have one blockchain. And the blockchain can process 12 transactions per second. Uh, instead of having one blockchain, we will have 10 blockchains. Each of them can process 12 transactions per second. That's 120. We solve scalability, right? It's 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 that simple. <laughs> uh, and then as adoption grows, you can have thousand chain such chains. You, you have 12,000 transactions per second, right? Uh, and we looked at sharded. Th there was a couple of white papers about sharding back back then. There was uh, Zilica. There was uh, there was OmniLedger. Omniledger, yes, Omniledger was already published. They were all very theoretical. Like if you build them in practice, that wouldn't at that point work. And uh, and they were all written. This is this is our this is the thing that will. This is our personal opinion, but we personally believe that academics never ship software. <laughs> that is definitely the case in databases world. Uh, there are very few databases built by academics. They mostly built by uh, people from the industry. And so far, it seems to be the case for, in the blockchain as well. Right, there were plenty of papers published by academics, but none of them ever launched. Well, except for Thunder now. Oh, actually, the But but I mean, all of them like they they argue theoretical points, and and the, like in reality, there's a lot more practical kind of functionality that needs to be addressed, right? Before, like an example of of Zilliqa and kind of any anybody who's trying to do sharding without pretty much thinking of like, okay, so we have state growth is pretty much one of the, like state char charging and growth is one of the kind of core points of the blockchain, right? Because you have this very limited resource, very limited um, kind of, and and pretty much everybody's competing for it, right? And Ethereum like no, did not address, when they launched first version, right? They did not address it at all. They just said, well, you, you know, you pay a little bit of gas and you write and we'll figure it out later. And you have like a very linear growth of state in Ethereum right now, like just state size, not even the chain size. Mm -hmm. So you already need to have like 100 gigs of pretty much very fast storage available to run a full node to be able to process uh, mm -hmm. blockchain. So as this and, and this is at 12 transactions per second. Let's imagine we have more adoption, more users. Even if you have a better uh, kind of charging mechanics, which you know promotes better recycling of the storage, it still will be like uh, you know terabytes of storage. So if you don't shard storage and processing together, you cannot actually uh, like properly scale up. And this is, so Zilliqa only addresses pretty much sharding of the processing as, as well as many like other theoretical papers. Yeah, to, to elaborate what that what state sharding means is that when you shard into, into multiple blockchains, mm -hmm. you can either shard everything, meaning that every blockchain has its own state, its own processing, right? And then if you have thousand shards, Every shard will, will only have to be responsible for one thousandth of the state, or you can actually have everyone have the full state of the entire system, but you shard just the processing of transactions, 
Mm -hmm. Right, so then you have 10 terabytes of total state, everyone has to have the 10 terabytes of the total state, but you only process transactions that touch a particular uh, part of that state. Right, so Zilliqa does the, the latter. Zilliqa, on, in Zilliqa, every mining node has to have the full state of the system, but they only need to process the subset of the transactions. There's, there's a lot of really smart technologists that are working on sharding now, and, and a variety of other scalability improvements uh, across the different systems. I guess the, the, the biggest question that I have is why this needs to be a unique blockchain uh, in and of itself and, and how and why some of these technical improvements wouldn't ultimately just get forked into Ethereum or whichever blockchain really needed it that was already thinking about um, implementing some of these upgrades in the future and already actively working towards them. because. Um, in, in, in my mind, um, if the underlying platforms are, are technically similar, um, you should be able to, to bake this in uh, over time, particularly in, in the Ethereum 2.0 roadmap, or at least what it sounds like when, when that comes live. Is there something unique about starting um, with sharding embedded in, in kind of the foundational elements of the platform that, that makes it difficult for another uh, protocol team to add this to their roadmap and, and just fork your code and, 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 and use it as an improvement to what they are already building on top of that has uh, a community advantage that has an ecosystem that's already been developed. Um, help, help me understand it in you know, maybe layman's terms, um, why that has to be done in parallel and, and ultimately why this should be its own unique platform that, that scales uh, on its own over time? So, I mean, th there's actually few answers here. And uh, the main answer is actually, when, when we're saying that Ethereum has, you know, ecosystem and has developers and has users, in reality, we're talking about, what, about 10,000 developers using it and, and very low, like, I, I don't know, you, you guys probably have better numbers on, like, usage of the Ethereum, but it's also pretty low, uh, like, adoption so far. And you well, know you can you, say I think I think you'd want to think about it more in like a percentage of developers term, right? So so what what type of mindshare does does Ethereum have for folks that are thinking about smart contracts? Um, that that's that's typically what I think of when I think of network effect. Point taken that it's it's the ecosystem in general is still small, but but overcoming that um, well, I, and coming so I, 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 I think is not trivial. Within percentage of developers, and there's about 20, 20 million developers based on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. So 10,000 is about uh, 0.1%, yeah, 0.05. Um, so like what, what, what we're trying to do is, you know, we're trying to make a usable blockchain. That, that's actually our main, main point, right? Like mm -hmm. as, as Alex mentioned, we wanted to build applications and we looked at it and we realized it's unusable and scalability was a really big part of it, but there's also like just a part of, it's really hard to develop on Ethereum. It's really hard to use Ethereum. It's really hard to develop on any other blockchain. Even the OS, for example, who you know toots their horn that they are most usable blockchain around, right? It's actually even harder to develop on the OS because you need to write C++ with templates. With templates, yeah, it's super complicated. You need to understand the RAM and storage and all those things. Like this is the part that actually prevent, uh, we believe, prevent all those things to become uh, usable. So. While you're changing, like while you're doing solving scalability, you also need to solve all the other problems. And here, there's actually 
like all of the things actually interact very, very in very complicated ways. So, for example, right, one of the main things about sharding is that now you cannot have atomic uh, processing across smart contracts that live in different shards, right? So, like if you deployed a maker in shard one and you want to use it from shard two, you cannot just you know call in one transaction and have a synchronous uh, transaction happen in the same block because this is two different blocks with two different cadences. Mm-hmm. So now you actually need to change a little bit your programmatic model and how you pretty much doing cross like contract calls and pretty much account for those cross shard transactions. And uh, I mean here again like people like pretty much punt on this point, but like this is we believe this is, will be one of the most important ones because like what we see from Ethereum and what we hear from developers is this like the fact that you can build this like small application that like one application that contains state, another one that uses the state to like play a mini game. You can build like a whole ecosystem of applications around like for example crypto like CryptoKitties, right? Yeah, the CryptoKitties itself has a limited functionality, but you can build like ton of games kind of around it that use CryptoKitties as kind of main asset that you can play in in this mini games, right? So th- this is an example, right? And we we from our perspective we think about it as kind of on a larger scale where you have like you know, hundreds of applications, hundreds of microservices pretty much using each other uh, kind of based on uh, user's requests. So to do that, to actually build that system, you need to design everything from scratch. Like, and, like, you need to think about it as well, right? You need to, like, hey, okay, we need fast cross-shot transactions, right? Which means we need immediate finality on the shot, right? Which means we need to have, right, like, BFT consensus on shards, which means we cannot do cross-shard transactions for beacon chain, which, like, this is all of the things that you need to do. And, like, this is not the perspective that, as far as we've seen, people approaching this problem, right? They're just approaching it, hey, can we put more TPS on this? Can we, like, run a script that, you know, sends money from one person to another and see a bigger number? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being physician a little bit, but, like, this is kind of generally how people approach it. Versus us is, like, how can we build be- like better, more apps? Pretty much, how can we make developer more productive? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to address uh, your your er- earlier question. Right? So your first question was, why would it be a single chain, not multiple chains? And uh, the first of all, you can actually build sharding in a way that it will be multiple chains, right? Polkadot and Cosmos are sort of examples of that, mm-hmm. right? And they, in their case, every shard, zone and parachain, and their terminologies is actually completely unique. Uh, and it's implemented in different ways. That, uh, that is, if you might think that it actually appears to be strictly superior to, ha- to having homogeneous shards because having heterogeneous shards, you can always simulate homogeneous shards by just running the same runtime. However, that has two drawbacks which made us choose to have homogeneous shards. One is that it actually introduces quite a bit of complexity uh, to development of the protocol. Uh, and second is that it introduces quite a bit of complexity for the developer because the developer now needs to understand like on near, you build for near, you deploy on near, and you're done. Uh, in hypothetical cosmos, you actually need to understand the differences between zones and 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 think: Do I want to deploy in one of these of the existing zones? Do I want to spin up my own zone? If yes, which hub do I want to use? Which has its own use cases, uh, but for the average application developer, that's an extra complexity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second reason why it will not be with multiple chains is security, right? So. Uh, the way, for example, Cosmos addresses it is that every zone has its own security. Every zone is responsible for choosing validators, right? And so, yeah, some popular zones will have plenty of validators, but some less popular zones will be uh, vulnerable to attacks. Uh, Polkadot has uh, 
somewhat more sophisticated way of rotating validators and, and running runtime in Wasm, which uh, uh, I think it's like an in between, yeah, homogeneous and yeah, heterogeneous, yeah. pretty much. Uh, but 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 in general, like today, for example, right, Ethereum is very secure, Bitcoin is very secure. Ethereum Classic was attacked, right? Because as you go down, the 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 valuation attacks become visible. Uh, and, and, and go ahead. And and so that's a good segue because uh, you're still private. Um, you've raised money from a good group of investors, but uh, how do you think? in a, uh, a system that is going to get off the ground using a proof of stake uh, consensus algorithm. How do you think about distributing uh, the tokens both over time and then early on? Um, you've got, uh, what, half, half a dozen or so venture firms uh, in, in kind of the earliest committed round. Uh, what is the path to actually launching uh, this this blockchain um, and and actually letting people build applications and and, and get outside of the sandbox um, and uh, and and how do you think about maintaining uh, the security of the system over time uh, because so much of that I think is going to require a, a pretty balanced initial distribution mm -hmm. for sure yeah I mean big part of it is definitely finding like initial partners who will you know be validators as like pretty much investors by default means validators because they have a pretty large stake and they you know will be contributing security to the system and they kind of already committed to that <laughs> um, so then the idea is to, to build up a list of those as well as uh, kind of find external people who are interested in doing this kind of uh, um, for a period of time so one of the programs we want to have is actually if people participate in our test net they can actually uh, become like validators in the main net as well the other part is, and, and I mean, this is still work in progress, is like figuring out how can we have like a progressive way where we start with maybe uh, like less decentralized, but kind of controlled environment where, you know, security is kind of more around that we say, hey, you know, right now we kind of providing SLA. And then over time, we kind of decentralizing as the, you know, usage picks up, as the uh, market cap picks up on the token, etc. And you kind of actually have like a, uh, economic security now picking up, right? So pretty much, I mean, and it, it was true pretty much about any blockchain, right? It started with like more controlled, where you, you know, everything is kind of still run by either company itself or by like fixed set of validators. And then over time, it kind of decentralized more. So like we're figuring out what is that exact like schedule gonna look. Uh, I think what you just said can be perceived very wrong in the way that uh, ultimately we're not going to be choosing any validators, right? So it's uh, uh, so, so if you think about, so let's say Nier is completely bootstrapped and is fully independent at this point, then anyone can become a validator and we're researching, we're doing a lot of research in how to make it um, sort of opposite to delegated proof of stake. In delegated proof of stake, you have multiple uh, effectively, like, let's say 100 validators and everybody else delegates to them. And what it results in is that A, uh, those validators, they get to know each other. It's it's more and more easy for them to collude. Uh, but B, also that they become significantly richer, right? And it's easier and easier for them to stay validators. So what we're trying to do is, uh, we call it threshold of proof of stake, just to have a fancy term. Uh, what we're trying to do is that, actually, there's no delegation. It's just very easy for people to go and participate. So, so like, let's say, if you can make it such that up to a million people can certainly participate within a day and get their reward and have no variance, that will discourage pooling and delegation quite a bit, and that will create higher decentralization. The do, problem do you, is that, yeah, go ahead. The uh, problem do, is that there, yeah, to get there, 
like if you just launch and say we need one million people mining, that will not happen, right? So you actually need to get to the state where there's sufficient people caring about it to do that, and that you need to do progressively. Uh, and so the first step is when you launch the protocol and you have no usage, you're actually in a very bad position because there's no usage, that means there's no value, uh, then why would anyone stake, right? And if nobody stakes, there's no security, why would anyone use? So that's why we're thinking that uh, it makes a lot of sense to start in a, in a fully centralized manner, me meaning that Ilya says, I'm running all the nodes, <laughs> and you and, and I, as a C Corp in California, I provide you with an SLA. There's a, there's a contract between us that says, that will be life, you know, and uh, and then we, we grow adoption with a very clear message that within a year, for example, that will move to completely decentralized uh, uh well, yeah, I mean, I, ideally, pretty much, we just have a schedule as we add more validators, like, into the pool, right? Like, we begin pretty much with us being, like, filling in all the seats, and then we say, okay, now, you know, all of the, like, our previous investors can join, and then all of the, like, next batch, and then we kind of open up this to anybody can join uh, over time. Where where are you on the roadmap now? So, pretty much, we launched in February what we call a DevNet. So, this was a full developer experience where it was backed up by one node that runs a full runtime. So, if you if you know, like, Ethereum 2.0 schedule, we started with phase two <laughs> and yeah. launched that. Um, and then we pretty much are finalizing our phase zero. So, it's like beacon chain with one shard. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's kind of our point is that, like, in the beginning, again, you don't really need, like, thousand shards. You can, <laughs> one shard is, is good enough. I mean, and the idea would be to pretty much launch that and then like add resharding and kind of dynamically grow the number of shards as, as we grow and get more adoption. Yeah. So then pretty much we're doing phase two, phase zero, phase one kind of order. Gotcha. Have you guys thought about the parameters for the total token supplies or fixed cap? Is there an ongoing inflation rate that you expect? How much is going to be available upfront uh, during the early stages? Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much because it's a proof of stake, you need to, like, allocate a all of the tokens kind of in the beginning. Otherwise, like, it's kind of, like, pretty much you can allocate num number of tokens. Like, there's no mining. Like, mm -hmm. you need to actually have the tokens to part participate. And then there will be a inflation pretty much, yeah, to uh, promote security and kind of... Uh, we're also thinking how we can, like... Uh, have some portion of the inflation reward developers with, with accordance to how much usage they brought to the system. And that we believe is like one of the kind of interesting and important parts of the ecosystem is how to get developers who are especially building like non-user facing but like basic components of the uh, kind of player, how can they get rewarded independently, you know, instead of creating their own token that has no actual utility. Or and economics and having you know infinite velocity, like instead of that, they're actually getting portion portion of the reward based on how much usage their specific like service got. I think I think a lot of people kind of take for granted that tokens just get allocated to the founders, to the the team that the, or the company that creates these, to the foundation if it's set up. Um, but we haven't had too many conversations recently because the ICO boom is. So, Cited since we started this podcast, but um, we haven't had too many founders on that are actually actively going through the decision of how to make these allocations up front. Um, so, what? How do you guys think about the amount that you're going to reserve for near the company um, and for your investors if they're earmarked, or for specific folks on the team? 
um, or for a foundation? Because uh, I'd imagine that you have some reserve that you're going to maintain um, and then use that over time for either partnerships or um, to sell for, for, for ongoing fund uh, fundraisings. Um, what What's the calculus? Uh, is, is it just kind of like finger in the air or, uh, you know, what, 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 what do your investors advise? Uh, what, what does the market say right now? And in, in, in terms of how best to bootstrap this so that you're not giving a hundred percent away to the, the venture investors that started, um, even though they need to have a sizable chunk, you, you, you can re- retain some flexibility to entice validators that are going to be good long-term partners. So our, our strategy is twofold here. One is, all of the insiders need to have less than, less or equal than 30% of total token at a launch. That So insiders in, include team and investors. And the kind of split is pretty much 15% goes to private investors and 15 goes to the team, uh, pretty much including like future hires. So pretty much 15 is what already allocated and what will be allocated to kind of people who will join us uh, kind of in the next two years. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, already there, and then so some portion goes to foundation. That portion kind of depends on how much we gonna distribute before launch, pretty much, because the rest will go to foundation, and they they will have some mandate on how to distribute it and how to use it. Um, and then of course we have a portion which is uh, allocated for early partners. This includes uh, validators as well as developers, like who will actually develop applications uh, prior to launch and kind of. Uh, for a period of time around that. Uh, We're planning to do some kind of... uh, ICO. I mean, (laughs) not ICO, but a a public... public At least least someone's going to call a spade a spade, man. A a sale which is, you know, (laughs) uh, complies with all the current regulations. Let's just say that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we definitely want to distribute this token as widely as possible. And in reality, is the, the pub, public sale is the best way to do it, right? Just because, like, if, like any kind of airdrop, if it's not conditioned on something that people do, is not, uh, like, is not actually beneficial. And you know, we've saw airdrops that you know been like 90% scam anyway, uh, even from the like top top projects. So pretty much making sure that like people are actually invested in the system as well as. Uh, uh, kind of getting like them to know about it and learning about it, right? This is what you know a public sale does. Our mm-hmm. plan is to do public sale as like, kind of when we have enough evidence, like anybody can go and run our test net, can build an app, can probably use some already apps built on it, right? So this is very different from <laughs> white paper. Yeah, white paper public sales kind of thing. How, uh, but so so you know in in 2017 when it was like really wild west and and you know folks were just throwing up the the wallet address to uh, actually execute these these token sales um, it's a little bit different right but now you've got uh, a number of services the exchanges are getting in on the in the game and now it's it's the IEOs right uh, where you're actually doing you know what looks a lot like a, a listing in, in traditional equities markets where you go with one specific exchange. Uh, and those have been very successful for the for the you know few that have gone that route with Binance and now Bittrex uh, as of earlier this week, and, and I'm sure others will follow. Um, and then you've got uh, you know a number of other vendors like the CoinList of the world that facilitated Blockstack and Filecoin and a number of other sales. Um, how how do you think about 
uh, approaching third parties to, to help with that distribution because most entrepreneurs have been kind of conditioned when you're going out for, for venture funding, you do it yourself, right? You don't hire an investment banker. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like this industry is a little bit different, particularly for, again, a proof of stake uh, blockchain where you want to make sure that you have good strategic distribution and that the, the network doesn't have any security vulnerabilities early on because you, you got into bed with the wrong partners. Um, is there value in, in, in those third parties and, and how do you evaluate who you might work with as, as you think about the, the compliant public sale? I mean, for sure, there's value, and we're definitely exploring options with uh, some of those partners. Uh, and I mean, the point here is like making sure that we can tap into the kind of big community of, of people who are interested in this project and, and willing to learn and kind of willing to invest, right? Uh, and you know, do, doing it like show an address and kind of uh, get people is also like if you want to do it compliant, you actually still need to do a lot of work around it, right? So this partners actually do a lot of this uh, footwork for you as well, which, uh, you know, from perspective of like moving fast is kind of important as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like evaluating like actual, actually how, for like how much it's a benefit cost analysis, right? That's like on, on offer to offer uh, basis. <laughs> Great. Um, so guys, what, um, What's the best place for, for folks to reach out if they're looking to dabble early on uh, in, in, in the protocol and, and get involved on the technical side? I'm sure, you know, I don't need to recommend anybody if they go check out where, you know, you're going to do the token sale because people will find that. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to come across as if, as if I'm promoting it. But on the developer side, what, where, where do you want to funnel people? So we have, we have a Discord channel. That's our primary channel to communicate. Uh, we wanted to use Telegram, but it's uh, <laughs> it was flooded by bots. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Discord works very well for us. Uh, also, the entire code base is open, so anyone can just go to GitHub and and start. And first, yeah, first of all, <laughs> we, we're very into vanity metrics, so please start start the repo. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's written in Rust, so it's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so yeah, so GitHub, Discord. Yeah, so get, so Discord is near chat. Just type it in your URL and get on our Discord. You can also type near.dev and get to our online IDE to start building right away. On near. On near, yeah. Like it actually online IDE. You can build an app within fifteen like build and deploy an app within fifteen seconds. I mean, from the template, but <laughs> and uh, and and for our listeners, I will throw in the show notes uh, a couple of the posts that uh, that Alex Ely and, and team have written on sharding, the one on one and some of the outstanding challenges that, that remain to be fixed. Um, it's certainly a highly complex uh, you know, technical subject matter, but uh, if you're staying abreast of developments in, 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 in crypto, it's, it's probably one of the most important uh, scalability uh, challenges that, that needs to be tackled. And, 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 and the near team certainly is, uh, is one of the more qualified uh, and, and talented that's been taking a crack at it. So. Uh, gents, thank you very much for joining. I'm sure we'll, we'll see each other in person soon. But uh, in the meantime, good luck. And to everybody else that's listening online on Twitter uh, or that's listening to this on iTunes in the future, uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for chiming in and, and joining in. Until next time, peace. Thanks. <laughs>